Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with building the house of the Lord as we pick up in 1 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. So Hiram, the king of Tyre, when he heard that Solomon was upon the throne in place of his David, for Hiram was always a great admirer of David. And Solomon sent to Hiram and he said, You know how that David my father could not build a house unto the name of the Lord his God, for the wars which were about him on every side until the Lord put them under the soles of his feet. But now the Lord my God hath given me rest on every side so that there is neither adversary nor evil occurrence. Behold, I purpose to build a house unto the name of the Lord my God, as the Lord spake to David my father, saying, Thy son, whom I will set upon the throne in your place, he will build a house unto my name. Now therefore, command that they hew me cedar trees out of Lebanon, and my servants shall be with thy servants, and unto thee will I give hire for thy servants according to all that you shall appoint. For thou knowest that there is not among any of us those that have the skill in cutting timber like those of Sidon. So it came to pass when Hiram heard the words of Solomon that he rejoiced greatly and said, Blessed be the Lord this day which hath given unto David a wise son over this great people. So Hiram uh, rejoiced uh, that Solomon uh, had such wisdom as he began to reign in David's stead. Hiram sent Solomon, saying, I've considered the thing which you have sent for me, and I will do all that you desire concerning the timbers of cedar and fir. My servants shall bring them down from Lebanon unto the sea, and I will convey them by sea and floats unto the place that you shall appoint me, and I will cause them to be discharged there, and thou shalt receive them, and you shall accomplish my desire in giving food to my household. So they made an arrangement where they would make these great log rafts, cutting the timbers out of the forest of Lebanon, up in the area of Sidon and Tyre. Now, it used to be that Lebanon was covered with great cedar forest. Most of these were destroyed during the time of the reign of the Turks. But there are just today a very few cedar groves left in Lebanon. Tragic used to be beautiful, wooded area. And now just a few cedars left. But they cut down these great cedars and firs and made these log rafts. And they floated them down the Mediterranean to the port city of Joppa, which is probably about 50 miles from Tyre. And there from Joppa, they would take them overland to Jerusalem, a distance of about 35 miles, these huge logs. And so it was quite a task indeed. Now, for these logs, he was to pay Hiram in food uh, to take care of these men who were cutting the timber out of the woods. So Hiram gave Solomon cedar trees and fir trees according to all of his desire, And Solomon gave to Hiram 
20,000 measures of wheat. So again, 10 bushels, 200,000 bushels of wheat for his household, 20 measures of pure oil and a measure of oil. They figure somewhere between 45 and 80 gallons. And this was the annual tribute or, or pay that he gave for the men so that they could eat. And the Lord gave Solomon wisdom as he promised him, and there was peace between Hiram and Solomon, for they had made a treaty. And King Solomon raised a tax from all of Israel, or a, a draft, actually, and he drafted 30,000 men. And he sent them to Lebanon, 10,000 each month. So you go a month, you work a month, and had two months off, just like a fireman almost. You know, you work a day and off three, and those neat kind of hours. So uh, he had 30,000 men, 10,000 going each month up to Lebanon to work in, in helping them in, in the cutting of the wood and so forth. And Solomon had 70,000 slaves that just carried the, the, the logs, you know, or worked along with the logs and so forth. Uh, they, of course, would put logs and roll them, and, you know, they'd run and put logs ahead, and they'd roll the logs and so forth. And, of course, when you have 70,000 men doing it, you can move quite a few logs. And there were 80,000 men who were up cutting the logs up in the forest. So really quite a contingency of labor here. Beside the chief of Solomon's officers, which were over the work, 3,300 foremen on the job that, that guided them in the work. And Solomon commanded that they bring great and costly stones to lay the foundation of the house of God. And Solomon's builders and Hiram's builders cut them and the stone squares so that they prepared timber and stones to build the house. Now, near Herod's gate in Jerusalem today, there is a cave that goes under the wall, and actually you can go down under the city of Jerusalem into Solomon's quarries, and you can see where much of the stone was quarried for the walls of the city of Jerusalem during Solomon's time for Solomon's house and for the temple. These quarries are still there, and you can see the chisel marks on, on the wall where they, they cut out what they would do. Actually, the, the rocks under that area uh, are limestone, and they lay in uh, layers, actually. And it's excellent for building because... Much of it is just flat and, and sort of layered. And what they would do is they would drill holes into the rock, and then they would put wooden branches in, and then they would soak, they would pour water on the wooden branches and make them expand and, and just pop the rock out. And... Uh, you can, uh, always an interesting thing to see in Jerusalem is Solomon's quarries just to the right of Herod's Gate, between Herod's Gate and Damascus Gate. If ever you get over there, you want to take a look at Solomon's quarries. They're very fascinating because here is where the stone was quarried. And then, of course, they would cut it 
And it is interesting that today in Jerusalem, there is a city ordinance that all of the buildings in Jerusalem must be made out of what they call the Jerusalem stone. So even if they build the concrete buildings, they have to put a, a fascia over all of the buildings of this Jerusalem stone. Jerusalem stone is a very beautiful stone. It has a capacity in the early morning sun to look almost golden, and that is why Jerusalem is called the golden city. Because as the sun is rising, and as it first hits the stone, or just even before it hits, just in the early dawn, it takes on a golden hue, all of the stones. And it's absolutely gorgeous. It, it, of course, you're in jet lag, so you wake up early anyhow uh, when you're first there. But it's always a thrill to see the sun coming up and see this golden color. And then, of course, as the sun hits it, it begins to level out into a sort of a beige kind of a color in the bright sun. But Jerusalem's stone is something beautiful to behold. And in the cutting of the stone and in the shaping of it, they would shape the stone so fine that they did not have to use mortar in putting it together. But the, the blocks would just all interlock and fit one upon another. And I saw the corner of the Temple Mount that was done during Herod's time with these gigantic stones. Now, it says that Solomon had some huge stones, and some of them eight cubits, some of them five cubits, which are good-sized stones, really. For Solomon's day, eight cubits would be a stone of about 11, 12, 13 feet. But Herod used stones that were 37 feet long, five feet high, and eight feet thick. They estimate that they weigh somewhere between 80 and 100 tons. And these stones are carved so accurately, I guess is what you'd say, is that I took a knife blade and tried to insert it between them, and you can't. Now, can you imagine how much chipping that must have taken? I don't know. That's the kind of stuff I think about. How long did it take a guy to chip that thing that smooth? You know, because they're working with just chisels and, and, and uh, all and hand tools, no power grinders or pneumatic tools, just chipping away. And the interesting thing is today, you can see these old men around Jerusalem sitting there on the ground or in a squatted position, and they're chipping away at stones. It's still an art that is current to the present day because of the city ordinance that all of the buildings must be faced at least with Jerusalem stone. So stone cutting, a very interesting art indeed, and it is fascinating to watch. And Solomon ordered these stones and, of course, all of the materials. So in chapter 6, he began to build the temple. In the 40, 480th year, after the children of Israel were come out of the land of Egypt. And in the fourth year of Solomon's reign, in the second month, they began the building of the temple. 
Now the temple was to be 90 feet long and 30 feet wide and 45 feet tall. So if you can picture now in your mind, 90 feet, that's how long Solomon's temple was. But 45 feet high, so that is quite high for a building. So it was rather high and long and narrow. And of course, it had the one end that was petitioned off and had doors at that time into the Holy of Holies. The doors were of carved olive wood and overlaid with gold. And as you get into chapter 6, it begins to give you the description of the temple that they were constructing. Now, in verse 7 it tells us, when they were building it, it was built of stone made ready before it was brought to the site so that there was neither hammer nor axe nor any tool of iron heard in the house while it was in building. So all of the cutting of the stone was done at the quarry, which was, of course, under the city, and they would cut the stones to size and all there and then bring them out and just lay them in so there was no noise of a hammer or any iron or tool at the actual construction site of the temple. Now, there's an interesting story that is told in the construction of the temple and that is that the stones being quarried at a distance from the actual site of the building, they were all of them once quarried, marked with a special mark, so that they would have the plan at the quarry for the building and the dimension of each stone. And then they also had another set of plans on the job. And again, each stone made especially for each slot and they would quarry the stone and send it, and they would mark where it went, and the foreman on the job would see the stone, and he would direct them where to lay it. Well, a stone came from the quarry that didn't seem to fit into the building. And so the people didn't see or understand where this particular stone went, so they tossed it aside. Now, this building was seven years in the construction. So in seven years, the, the shrubbery and all can grow up and cover. And the story goes that this stone just became lost in this overgrowth of shrubbery and all. So that when the temple was just about completed, the foreman sent a message to the quarry we're all set to lay the cornerstone, the chief stone of the building. Where is it? And the quarry said, that stone was made and already sent to the job. They said, well, it's not here. They said, well, it's been sent. Look for it. And someone said, well, remember that stone we threw over there in the bushes? And they went over, and sure enough, 
The stone that was rejected by the builders was the chief cornerstone of the building. Now, Peter picks this up when he is talking to the Sanhedrin, when he is called on the carpet because of the healing of the lame man in the temple. And here is Peter standing before the Sanhedrin. He said, hey, fellas, if you're going to arrest me today because of the good deed done to this lame man, then that's your problem. But you want to know by what power or authority I did it. Be it known unto you that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth does this man stand here before you whole. And he is the stone which was set of naught by you builders, but God has made him the chief cornerstone. And he is showing them a parallel, a story that was familiar to all of them, how that the chief stone was rejected, but the same has become the head of the corner. It's in a psalm. But Peter shows that actually it is only prefiguring Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone who was rejected by the religious builders in Israel. But God has made him the head cornerstone overall. So this is why that psalm and why Peter picked it up is that the stones were all carved out away from the site and brought to the site ready to be set. Now again, the word of the Lord came to Solomon in verse 12, declaring concerning this house which you are building. Again, conditional, if you will walk in my statutes and execute my judgments and keep all my commandments to walk in them. Then will I perform my word with thee, which I spake unto David your father. And I will dwell among the children of Israel. I will not forsake my people Israel. So God's promise, conditional promise to Solomon that God would dwell there in the midst of the people. Now, they did not build temples to worship in. That is, to congregate to worship. The temple and the idea of the temple was a place for God to dwell in. David said, it isn't right that I'm dwelling in this house that is all sealed and nice, and God is still dwelling in a tent. I'm going to make a house for God. Now, when we build churches we think of accommodating the people that we might all gather together in order that we might worship God together here and study his word and grow in our knowledge and understanding of God. But not so in those days. In their building of a temple, the idea was to build a house for God and the common ordinary person was never allowed inside. Only the priests were allowed to go inside of the temple to visit with God. But the common people weren't allowed inside the building at all. There were the porches where they could go into the porches. But into the actual building itself, only the priest could enter. So it wasn't a center of worship like buildings that we build today for in the church. And our idea is to accommodate the people to gather together to worship God. Their idea was to build a house for God to dwell in. But then when Solomon finished the temple, he saw how foolish the whole thing was. He said, God, I look up and I know that the heavens of heaven aren't big enough to contain you, how much less this little house that I've built here. 
And we know that God doesn't dwell in temples or in houses made with hands. But he dwells, of course, within our hearts and lives. But he who fills the universe fills my heart and my life tonight. For my body has become the temple of the Holy Spirit, the dwelling place of God and God's Spirit within me. So we don't need to build temples for God to dwell in. We build places where we can assemble to acknowledge God and to worship God. So God said, I will dwell among my people. As long as they walk in my statutes, keep my commandments, I will dwell among them. And I will not forsake my people Israel. And so it goes on and tells of the building of the house for God and of the Holy of Holies, which was a 30-foot cube and of the two cherubim that they built to go into the Holy of Holies, carved them out of olive wood and then overlaid them with gold, and how that the cherubim's wing spans were 10 feet from wing to wing. So they were pretty good sized cherubim. We'll continue with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of 1 Kings on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order 1 Kings 5-6 through 6 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's the wordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD, and our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord give you a beautiful week a fellowship with Him as you walk with the Lord in the light of His Word. May He just spread His glory on your way. And may you just experience more and more the love of God and the grace of God as His Spirit works in your heart, the Spirit of grace and supplication. God bless you and keep you in the name of Jesus Christ. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. The 1960s became one of the most colorful periods in American history. The counterculture was dropping out and turning on. The Summer of Love was the stage for many dramas of change, and the most popular musical group in the world was singing All You Need Is Love. But one man in Southern California was reaching out with the answer, and the truth began to set people free. 
author and pastor Chuck Smith began to share the love of Jesus Christ with a generation that was looking for love in all the wrong places. Now some 40 years later, the gospel of love is still changing lives. In his book simply titled, Love, The More Excellent Way, Pastor Chuck Smith expounds upon the love that can change your life now and forever. For more information on how to obtain your copy, visit a bookstore nearest you or call 1-800-272-WORD or visit us online at thewordfortoday.org. That's thewordfortoday.org.